Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Let's dive in right now as we enter in to the parable of the sower as told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. It says, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, Some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And then later on in that same uh, passage, in that same scripture, jumping down a few verses to verse 18, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what is sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we enter into this, let's take a moment and pray together. Gracious God, I thank you for this moment right here, for this moment with our friends online throughout San Diego, throughout the nation, throughout the world. And Lord, as we come to you this morning, we have so many things on our plate to consider. So many appointments on our calendar, so many bills on our checkbook account. We have so many worries of this world. And we're all asking similar questions. How do I continue to live a life that thrives? Am I going to live a life that matters, that has deep meaning? Have I done something in my past that is so irreparable that you couldn't fix it, and so now my future is already set in a, in a direction that is suboptimal. We come to this moment with fear and with joy, with hope and with despair. However we find ourselves this moment, we pray that you'd help us to see that you see us and you know us. You care for us and you call us your own. You move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love. And so now we pray as we open these scriptures that you would teach us by the power of your spirit to transform our lives, to change the world, to bring us more and more into your family and into your kingdom that is marked by peace and flourishing and true life with you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, this week, like many of you, I watched 
Hamilton, again, on Disney+. Plus. This time we let our oldest son watch it with us. And I was struck again. First of all, when I watch movies like that, I end up crying at least once or twice. I cry when people are reunited. I cry when people are rescued. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm emotionally moved. And I'm also just inspired as I'm watching how talented each of these actors is. Every single one of them at the top of their game, performing with brilliance, and beauty, and power. And I'm also dazzled by the life of Alexander Hamilton and Eliza. I know they're by no means perfect. And yet, you look at what one person, what two people were able to accomplish in the same amount of life that each of us gets. Well, in Alexander Hamilton's case, less life than most of us get. And you watch that and you go, I, I at least think, my goodness, I want to do as much as I possibly can with my life. I want to make every single day count. I want to achieve great things for the good of God's kingdom, for the good of our neighborhood, for the good of our city. I just I want to live the best version of my life possible. It reminds me of a story I read last week about the German poet Rilke, who went to go visit an ancient Roman statue of Apollo. And when he went home, he didn't write, you know, I really saw beautiful you know, sculpture today. I love the architecture of the building. The lighting struck it just perfectly. He didn't write any of that. In his journal, what he wrote after gazing upon brilliance and beauty and art and skill, he said, I want to transform my life. I've been in the presence of greatness, and I want to be the greatest version of myself. Now, that is a dim glimmer of the effect that Jesus had on people when he met them. When he met them, they knew they were in the presence of greatness. When the Apostle Peter, who went on to become the chief follower of him, one of the great leaders of the church, but in the early days when he was just getting to know Jesus, he said, get away from me. I don't even have anything uh, to offer you. I am such, I'm such a, a spiritual miniature you know, soul compared to you. Please go. His actual words were, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. I have no business being with you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, if you knew the type of person that I will transform you into, you could greet this day with great joy. So today, maybe we join all these thousands and millions of people who have met Jesus saying, I want to be transformed into the truest, deepest, greatest version of myself. And he says, oh yeah. And let me show you how. And to illustrate that, he tells this passage, this parable of the four soils. And again, this passage meets us right where we are today as we ask the question, how do we go through this life where it seems like every time you get a news update, it's bad news? Every time you make plans for the future, they get scrubbed off the calendar because of a setback or a rollback in the society opening up with economic uncertainty in our lives with many of us facing health challenges, with the simple frustration of being socially distanced from one another. How do we bear the weight of all of that and not let it crush us, but rather become more expansive people? How do we go through all the uncertainty of this world and instead of becoming more bitter and cynical and closed off, we actually become more hopeful, joyful, resilient, and alive? And Jesus says, I came to make you good soil. That's what we're going to talk about today. As we look at this passage, let's just categorize it as let's look at the seed, let's look at the soil, and let's look at the sower. Okay. First of all, it says right here that the great crowds were gathering around Jesus, and so he began to teach them many things in parables. Parable 
is a method of teaching that Jesus employed regularly by which he would use a metaphor taking ingredients and illustrations that people would recognize in their daily life to teach them something about the mysterious nature of God. But it, like, a great, like a great joke or comedic routine, it always had a twist that would get you at the end. It would leave you going, huh? And either you got it or you didn't. Now, you know there's nothing like getting a great joke. And there's nothing like not getting a great joke. And this is what we see here, where he gives this great parable illustrating some deep truths. And some people get it, and some people don't. And the twist is at the end. You see, he's saying the sower goes out and they sow seed on the field and sometimes it falls on the path and it doesn't go down deep and the birds come and eat it. And now all the people in society who understand farming are going, yeah, tell me something I don't know. And he says, well, some of it falls you know, on the rocky soil and the, the roots go down, but they don't go down deep enough. So when it gets scorched, it, it all dies out. And they go, yeah, we understand that too. Well, you know, also some seed fell where there were thorns, and the thorns grew up with the seed, and, and it grew well for a while, but then it got choked out, it died, and they go, we get it, that happens. And he says, but some soil, some seed fell on the good soil, and it produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that's the great twist. That, you and I miss that because unless you're a farmer, you don't realize that an acceptable and, and expected good return on your seed would be sevenfold in this region. And so at the end he says, not sevenfold, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he has their jaws on the floor, and they're going, huh? How does a farmer get that kind of return? Now, what happens in between the two passages I read, like I said, some people get it, some people don't. And there's this cryptic paragraph in between the two. In Mark's account, he captures it very vividly as it says, and he told them this parable, and the people walked away confused. But some of them chose to walk toward Jesus and ask him what the parable means. And then he says something to them that sounds very cruel on the surface. He says, to you are given the keys to the kingdom of God. To you are given the truths of these deep things. But to others, it's not given. So that they may ever see, but never perceive. They may ever hear, but never understand. They don't get it, but you get it. They're outsiders, but you're insiders. And as soon as you read that, you go, see... That's what I don't like about Christianity, is that it divides up the world according to insiders and outsiders, and the insiders get it, and they're closer to Jesus, and the outsiders don't get it, and they go away cold. Except, when you read that passage, you ask critically, what does it take to get on the inside of Jesus? How does he draw the line? Who does he let into his inner circle, and who does he keep out? And when you read the passage, you realize, the only thing it takes to be on the inside with Jesus, to be welcomed into the kingdom, to be given the keys and the understanding, the only thing it takes is that when you don't understand what he's doing or saying, instead of walking away, you choose to walk toward him. And that's it. See, Jesus does set up a new kingdom of who's in and who's out, except he spreads his arms so wide that everybody's invited in. And to those who are in, he explains, he invites, he brings them more deeply. And he explains this parable to them. He says, okay, so the seed that is thrown out, that is the word of the kingdom. That is the proclamation that the kingdom of God is on the move. That Jesus is the true king of the kingdom, inaugurating a new age altogether, healing all things. 
Uh, another term for this is gospel, which comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. And so the seed is the good news. Let's dwell on that for a second. Later on, the Apostle Paul, writing to the early church in Rome, will say, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Think about that for a second. The gospel, he doesn't, he doesn't say the gospel points the way to the power of God for salvation. The gospel signifies the power of God. He says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. To hear the word, to understand it, to give ear to it, to apply it, is actually to be brought into the story of God's renewing kingdom that moves toward you and me right now. You know what that means? It means that Jesus came not simply to forgive sins. As astounding as that would be, even if that's all he did, is forgive sins so we could be right with God and right with each other. That would be the end of guilt and recrimination and the inner critic. It would all be squashed. He came for that. But he came for so much more. He came saying, the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, is the power of God in heaven entering the world to heal every alienation and brokenness in every dimension of human life. See, it's nothing less than the forgiveness of your sins and mine, but it is a whole lot more. The kingdom of heaven breaking forth through Jesus Christ to heal everything that's broken socially, spiritually, racially, economically, individually, communally, psychologically, in every way. And this is why the gospel is the power of God in your life and in mine. And that is the seed that is being sown out throughout all creation. Did you notice that it didn't just go to some places in the field and it missed other places? Part of what this means is the good news of God's mercy and grace and presence and love goes to you right now, wherever you are. It also means it goes to everyone around you. Yes, even the people that you can't stand. The seed goes to everyone. And it's, let's just note, it's good news. The gospel is not called good advice. Okay? Good advice would be, and this is the one way that some people use religion, good advice is God wants you to be a better person and here's how you do it. So that God can accept you and love you and then God owes you if you do the right things for long enough. That's good advice. It, Jesus did not just come to give you a better list of ten things to do and not do in this world. It is good news. It is primarily news that something has happened in space and time. That is, God in Jesus Christ has entered human history and knows and sees the brokenness of this world and through His life, death, and resurrection is actually doing something about it. And that's why it's good news that you can actually stand on and trust in no matter what's going on in your life right now. And it's interesting. He describes it as a small seed. It's a seed. A seed that comes gently, quietly, vulnerably. It's a seed that when planted can transform your heart, your neighborhood, your city, and your world. That's one of the interesting concepts of seeds is that it starts small. 
It grows silently, often imperceptibly. And yet when it's full grown, it can, it can produce a tree of incredible size and beauty and scale and scope. I saw this firsthand a couple weeks ago when my family and I visited Sequoia National Park. And there we were standing in front of the General Sherman tree, the great sequoia, the largest living organism on earth, 2,200 years old. And below that great tree were these seed pods. Now, also growing in that forest is another tree called the sugar pine. And they're big in their own right, but they're nothing compared to the great sequoia. And they drop their own pine cones as well. Here's what was interesting. Is that the great, huge pine cones didn't belong to the great sequoia. They belonged to the smaller sugar pine. The smaller seed pods belonged to the great sequoia. Through a small seed, through the underdog, through the quiet one, is a power sitting there ready to be unleashed and grow into the biggest organism on the planet. Friends, the gospel is the power of God for salvation that comes quietly, vulnerably, and small in your life and grows sometimes under the soil for a very long time. You might be thinking, I believe this stuff, I hear this stuff, I want to believe it more, and I'm not seeing any tree come up over the soil. And you trust the seed is actually doing its work under the soil right now and just beginning to pop up. You know, it's intriguing. You can put an acorn on top of a sidewalk and smash it and crush it and it's gone. But if you bury that acorn right next to the sidewalk, come back in 10 years, you'll have a little tree. Come back in 50 years, you'll have a tree whose roots are upending and breaking through the concrete itself. The power of the seed to grow into a tree that can break the concrete and the hardness of your heart and of mine. The hardness of this world. See, Jesus doesn't say, you know, the, the kingdom of God does not come like a fire that burns away all of its enemies. Or like a sword that slashes through resistance. Or like a hammer that crushes all opposition. It comes like a seed that requires patience. That grows into beauty. That grows into strength. But it grows slowly. But it's growing in your life and in mine right now. Has the gospel landed in your life like that? Are you beginning to see it take root? Are you able to start in the morning and say, though I don't know what this day holds, I can trust that the Word is actually growing in my life, that God has done something in history through His life, death, and resurrection, and therefore is present right now caring for me and will see me through this moment. Now, how do you cultivate a life like that? Well, to do that, we have to turn to the soil. I have a friend named Samuel Perez who lives in Tijuana, He's one of our ministry partners with Global Immersion Project. Whenever we do work with the, uh, with the migrant caravan that's in Tijuana, as we care for people who are in shelters there right now, uh, much of our work that's done in Tijuana is done with Global Immersion Project and really pointedly with our friend Samuel. So Samuel, if you're watching this, good to see you. And I can't wait to see you again in person. Now when I first met Samuel, uh, he has, I learned he has this great education uh, you know, many letters after his name. And part of his specialty is agriculture and horticulture. And I met him in this beautiful garden outside an orphanage for teen boys in Tijuana. This orphanage had previously been, years ago, had been a brothel. Uh, 
30, 40 years ago and have been transformed from a place that will take your soul into a place who is giving life to many boys who don't have many options. And part of the programming was that Samuel takes them under his care and teaches them how to farm and how to transform the soil. And I remember him saying to me the first time I met him, your soul is like the soil. If you till it and care for it and fertilize it and tend to it, beautiful things will grow there. Your soul is like the soil. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't you know, your soul is like the soil. And then he gives us these diagnostic questions to just kind of assess, where do you see your soul right now? And I, I want to say, you know, these, we can go much deeper into this, but also a lot of it's pretty self-explanatory in the way that he delivers it. And throughout our lives, you might find yourself moving from one type of soil to another. You might find yourself saying, I'm, I'm the first type of soil in one area, and the third type in another. But let's examine these soils that he gives. The first one is the soil where the seed never penetrates. See, each of those first three soils, really they have a depth issue is the problem. The first one, the seed doesn't go in at all. The second one, the seed goes in, but it goes so shallowly that the sun scorches it. And the third one, the seed goes in deep, but so do the thorns. Just as deep, so the seed only goes as deep as all the cares and worries of this world and lures of wealth and so it actually doesn't get any priority or preference, and it gets choked out. So in the first one, it never penetrates. Maybe this is a picture of the gospel, the word of the kingdom, the power for salvation. It goes to your head as knowledge, but it never gets down into your heart. It never gets played out into your life. And so maybe you know a lot of Bible verses. Maybe, uh, maybe you feel like, I've, you know, I've studied this, I've had enough conversations, and I know, but, but it hasn't actually infiltrated in a healthy way all the way deep down into your heart and your soul and then made its way into your actions. See, I identify with this deeply and profoundly, especially my life in high school and early college where I've, I went to Catholic school growing up the entire time, kindergarten through college, if you can believe that. And I was at St. Augustine High School right down the street from here. And I remember being in religion classes and getting A's and writing papers and knowing the scriptures, and yet it never made its way deep into my life or into my heart, into the way I treated others, into the way I treated myself, into the way I pursued joy or happiness or meaning. It just didn't make it. I was the shallow soil, the path. And it wasn't until I found a great community of people. Uh, for me, it was at the University of San Diego with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. When I met other people who were like me, taking two steps forward and one step back and wanting to, to pursue and believe and trust in Christ more and more, where they actually fostered and challenged and encouraged and, and inspired me in community to pursue him more. They helped to break up that path to make it more deep and rich soil. So friends, how are you right now, that pathway where it's just up in your head, but it's not finding itself more deep? And how can we as a church come together and help break up that soil more and more? The second is, the second soil is that shallow heart where the seed does indeed go down, but it fell on rocky ground and there's no depth and so it scorched and it had no root and it withered away. You know, that might be a picture of, because it says at first that plant looked like it was great. It was vibrant, it was green, it was, it was growing, but it didn't last long. It went out in a blaze of glory, as Bon Jovi would write. What happened? 
Maybe we'd say there, that's when the Word of God comes to you and you receive it emotionally. You get all excited about it. This is life with God. Maybe it's the honeymoon phase of life with God. But when the emotions are gone, so does the faith go. When the emotions are gone, you assume that God is gone as well. Now you know the stuff of best relationships, the stuff of the best marriages. You have this honeymoon infatuation, but you don't live there forever. You can't live there forever. It's impossible, right? So yes, there are emotions, but it's not only emotions, right? Day one of the honeymoon, joy and love will turn into 10 years of marriage where love looks like taking out the trash right before midnight because you realize the, the trash truck is coming tomorrow and you don't want to wake up your spouse. You're going to serve them in that way. It looks like doing the dishes when you don't feel like it. It looks like serving and forbearing and caring for others and putting them first. If it was only emotional, it would wither away. There's a great story of C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other great theological books writing to his friend Malcolm. All you get is C.S. Lewis's letter you can tell Malcolm had just written to him saying, you know, I just had this great experience with God. And, you know, I felt the chills and the shivers and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I knew that was God. C.S. Lewis writes back, when you get those feelings, rejoice and thank God for the gift. But never make the mistake of thinking that when those feelings go away, that God has gone away also. Because his presence is much deeper than that. See, when we get addicted to just the feeling, just the emotion, we show that we don't want a savior. We just want someone to bless us. We don't want a king. We just want a sugar daddy. We don't want you know, Jesus as the one who comes to restore and renew all things. We want a task rabbit who can come and just put the things together that we need and then will leave us alone. And when we pursue God like that, you will never find the true God, because he's much deeper than that. How do you go deeper today? He goes on to say, there's a third soil here. There's a, th there's a third soil, and what it looks like is that you hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. See, it goes down deep, but it goes down just as deep as your desire for money and all the cares that you have in your life. And so when you look at your life, and you look at your financial situation, and the worries that you have, and then the word of, of God that is the, salvation, the power for salvation, they're all just kind of equal opportunity applicants for the job. Who gets to run the day today? And he says, that just chokes out the word. Though it is speaking truth to your life, you just can't hear it, because everything else is shouting at you. I want to camp for a moment on the fact that 2,000 years ago, in a society that was impoverished compared to where we are today as Western capitalist Americans, he is already warning them about the lures of wealth. Stanley Hauerwas, writing much more contemporarily, wrote, and this gives me a shiver of warning. He says, the church in America simply is not a soil capable of growing deep roots. It may seem odd that wealth makes it impossible to grow the word. Wealth, we assume, should create the power necessary to do much good. But wealth stills the imagination because we are not forced, as the disciples of Jesus were forced, to be an alternative to the world that only necessity can create. Possessed by possessions, we desire to act in the world, often on behalf of the poor, 
without having to lose our possessions. You hear that? See, Jesus comes and says, you will never fully understand me or follow me or or get the, the rich experience of life with me unless you see that I am all you need. And yet it is so tempting for us to say, Jesus, I want to leave everything to follow you. I just want to keep everything I want to keep. Right? Uh, the Bible does not say that wealth is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Which means for you and me, just know that the way you view your finances, that you pursue that raise at work, it is not neutral. Right? I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. It is good to want to be able to provide for yourself and for others and to give generously. But when you make it an ultimate thing, it will ultimately fail you and leave you feeling like that plant that's getting choked out. Maybe right now you're experiencing that and there's an invitation for you to reprioritize your perspective. It might begin with a simple prayer that says, God, if you are who you say you are, help me to see that you are ultimately my provider beyond anything else. Help me to receive all you have for me and to give all that you call me to give as I live in a new currency of your grace. I got to tell you, as just a, a friend and a neighbor and community as well as a pastor, the people that I see are, that are the most joyful in the way that they relate to wealth are not necessarily the people that have the most money. The people that I see that are the most joyful in the way that they relate to wealth are those who understand that wealth is not the chief indicator of your value and that it is not the chief source of your happiness or meaning in this world. And then you begin to right-size your wealth, your finances, and the truer meaning takes place as you explore a deeper life with God. And you can relate to wealth in a healthy way. What would that look like for you? And finally, Jesus goes on to illustrate the fourth type of soil, a picture of wholehearted reception of the Word. He says, what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the Word and understands it, who indeed bears much fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in one case sixty, in one case thirty. A picture of wholeheartedly receiving the Word and living a life that is not only beautiful and vibrant for yourself, that actually bears fruit, as he says, and goes out exponentially to other people around you. Now, how do you get to that? Jesus does not say, you need to go and get your life straight. Christianity is not a religion that at its core says, God helps those who help themselves. That is nowhere in Scripture. In fact, quite the opposite. As you read the pages, you realize God helps those who cannot help themselves. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the healthy. The sick are the ones who need the doctor. Which brings us to the sower. Because in this parable, you're sharp, you probably figured it out. God is the sower. And the sower does all the work. We simply participate. The soil cannot do anything to make itself more rich, more vibrant, more alive. The sower has to do all the work. See, you're the soil, and he's the gardener. Yes, you have thorns and rocks in your soil. Christianity is actually very honest about that. As you read the pages of Scripture from beginning to end, you do not find anyone at all that has no thorns and no rocks in the soil except for Jesus. The soil's job is to receive the Word. 
to hear it, to put it into action. The gardener, the sower, is the one who will take out the thorns and the rocks if you let him. So you go to the gardener and say, Oh Lord, I have thorns in my life. Please take them. I have rocks in my heart that has become hardened. I need you to remove those rocks. Please pull them out. I want to receive you. I want to go to you. I want to come back to your, to your word and to receive and to trust. I'll do everything I can to hear you, to listen to you, but you have to pull out the thorns and the rocks. Please do it. When you go to Jesus like that, what do you think he's, he says? He says, of course. I've been waiting for you. That's my job. I delight to pull the thorns out of your life. In fact, they put the thorns in my brow when I was crucified on the cross for you. I long to pull the, the rocks out of the hardness of your heart. In fact, they buried me under a rock after they crucified me, and I broke right through with my resurrection, showing the final word on your world and your life is not rocks and thorns, but new life and joy and hope. So even now, hear his invitation. Come to me with the soil of your life. Come to me and grow and flourish. And as you do, go out and care for others 30, 60, 100 times what I'm doing for you. As you do that, friends, your life will never be the same. But you know what else? This world will never be the same. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now as we come to you with the scatteredness of our lives. Help us to see that you are sharing the seed of your own word of salvation, the kingdom of God moving toward us. Please do remove the thorns and the rocks from our lives so that we could be good soil and help us to rejoice in you today. Send us on our way with more meaning in you, with more purpose and with a sense of your calling to love others as you love us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, friends, I'm so glad to be with you today. Thanks for taking a moment out of your morning, or if you're watching this later, out of your afternoon, to be with us. And I invite you back. Come back this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. We're always online, Facebook Live, right here. And this Thursday at 4.30 p.m., we'll be on my back porch. It'll be informal for something we call Ask Pastor Matt, where you can ask me any questions you want. They can be questions about relationships with others, relationship with God, spiritual growth. Feel free to quiz me on my favorite bike ride or favorite burrito in San Diego. We're going to have a great time together Thursday afternoon as well. If there's anything that Renew Church can do to help you say the word, please let us know in the comments section or just direct message us. We're here for you. God bless you. Thank you.